Well, good morning, and I want to add my welcome to the welcomes that you've already heard. Really glad that you are with us here this morning. My name's Ellis. I'm the pastor of weekend services here at Chapel Hill, and I'm going to speak for about the next 30 minutes, and then we're going to sing a couple more songs before we close our service. Now, if you don't know me, you might have guessed already, I grew up in the UK, and I may be biased, but I think the UK has better sports than the US. My favorite one is rugby. I played rugby growing up a lot, and it it took me all over the world. In 2006, I got to tour through South America with my rugby team. There we are in Santiago. And while we were touring, we stayed not only in hotels, but very often with members of the other team. Their families would, would actually host us for the time that we were there. When I was in Santiago, I stayed with a Jewish family, and I experienced something that I've never experienced before, haven't experienced since, and that is a Jewish Sabbath. We were with our hosts on Friday night, and Friday afternoon, their, their family were busy preparing everything so that they could cease from doing work for 24 hours for the Sabbath. And as sunset rolled around, they got everything lined up. We sat down around a table together. They prayed in in Hebrew to bless the food, and then we feasted. And for the next 24 hours, as a family, all they did was spend time enjoying life together. There was no work. There was no housework. There was no errands. There was no emails. It was just enjoying the best things that life has to offer We're in a series here at Chapel Hill called Sick of Religion, and we're preaching through this because we think that there are many people in our world who are sick of religion. As a man named Christopher Hitchens, he was a famous atheist, wrote a bunch of books. He he passed away a few years ago. He wrote this in his book, God is Not Great. He said, religion is violent, irrational, intolerant, allied to racism, tribalism, and bigotry, invested in ignorance, and hostile to free inquiry, contemptuous of women, and coercive towards children. Organized religion ought to have a great deal on its conscience." And as we've been working through this series, you know what's kind of surprised me is is I think Jesus could probably say those same words about the first century Jewish expression of religion. I think we've been seeing that over these last few weeks. I mean, I just think through some of the descriptions that are there. Jesus found it to be violent. Ultimately, it killed him. He found it it to be irrational. They wouldn't listen to his arguments. He found it to be intolerant. They wouldn't look at things from another point of view. Certainly found it to be allied to racism, tribalism, and bigotry. I mean, the Jews hated the Gentiles and the Samaritans. And you could go on through that list. I'm pretty sure Jesus would have agreed with Christopher Hitchens' assessment when applied to first century Judaism, to the way they practiced their religion. And and so it kind of leaves, perhaps if, if you're new with us, maybe it leaves you with a question. If if, if, that's, if that's true of first century Jewish religion, Ellis, why isn't it true of what we're going to do this morning over the course of an hour? How, how is today any different from what was being done back then? And my hope is that over the rest of this message, you, you're going to come to understand that what we're practicing here today is, is very different from what was practiced by those first century Jews. Jesus actually turned that religion upside down. You see, see, for many of them, they thought 
religion was this way to work ourselves up towards God, to make ourselves worthy of God and, uh, and to earn our way towards him. And Jesus said, that's just not possible. We need to flip that upside down. Jesus said, I am God, and I am working my way down to you. I am coming down to you, and I am doing everything necessary so that you can enter into a relationship with God. It's not about religion, working our way up to God. It's about relationship, entering into a relationship with Jesus. And that's why we're here this morning. So I hope you're going to see that over these next few minutes as we look at a story from Scripture together. And and, and we're looking at a story from the life of Jesus where he critiques the first century Jewish practice of Sabbath. We just heard a short little video about Sabbath. Now, this, this Jewish practice of Sabbath, I experienced the 21st century version of it, but, but it goes way back, way before the first century even, 1,500 years before Jesus is when we first hear about Sabbath. And it comes in a set of rules that we refer to as, as the, the Ten Commandments. Some of you have seen the movie, so you're familiar with it. But the Ten Commandments were ten laws that were given to, to the leader of God's people, to Moses, when he was up on Mount Sinai. And commandment number four is this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Now Sabbath literally meant to cease, to cease doing work. And God was telling his people For six days you're to work, and then on the seventh day you are to cease. And where did this idea come from? Where where did God come up with this? Well, actually, he practiced it himself. We keep reading the next verse. It says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So this was a practice God had demonstrated himself. He worked for six days and then rested for one. And I don't have time this morning to tell you my point of view on whether God created the world in six days or not. But the point of it for this, uh, this message is that it's an illustration of the six days of work and one day of rest. If you are interested, I actually preached on it a few years ago. You can find that on our website, Bible versus Science, I think. But God set this rhythm, and if I was a good drummer like John, I could probably drum you the rhythm. It would be in 7-6, in that would be the, the time signature, and it sounds something like this. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. We don't have many songs that are in 7-6. It's kind of, kind of a weird rhythm. We're mainly in 4-4 four, four or 6-8 six, 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 or 7-6. What am I talking about? 7-8. See, I don't even know. You guys think I'm a musician. Seven, eight. And the people tried to live in this rhythm. They tried, but they actually found it kind of hard. Um, it, was, it, was, it was difficult. And so the, the religious leaders got together and they said, do you know what? We want to help these guys out. We're going to create a bunch of rules. And they weren't rules that, that God had given. They were rules that the religious leaders made up to help the people to observe the Sabbath. And uh, And these rules kind of got a little bit ridiculous. I want to demonstrate it to you. So I I actually need a volunteer, someone to come up here on on the stage. You need to be able to kind of carry something. No no one's willing. No one's willing. I'm going to pick Daryl. Are you you up for it? Come on up, Daryl. 
Okay. Come on up on the stage. Uh, so, Daryl, uh, this is the Sabbath backpack. All right. All right. So I want you to put the Sabbath backpack on. And, um, and I want you to stand right here like this. Okay, so they came up with rules. In, in total, there were 39 things that they decided you couldn't do on the Sabbath. And um, here are some of them. You couldn't, on the Sabbath, you couldn't sow, you couldn't plow, you couldn't reap, you couldn't thresh, you couldn't select, you couldn't grind, you couldn't sift, you couldn't knead, you couldn't bake. How's that going? Is it getting a little heavy? You want to tighten up the straps? Okay. You couldn't spin, you couldn't weave, you couldn't tie, so hard luck if you had shoelaces, couldn't untie, you couldn't tear, you couldn't write two or more letters. One letter was okay, but two was out of the question. You couldn't erase two or more letters, just the converse, I guess. You couldn't build, you couldn't demolish, you couldn't extinguish a fire, you couldn't start a fire, you couldn't put a finishing touch on an object, and... You also couldn't carry an object more than six feet. Ugh. And that's only some of them. There were others, too. How does that feel? Uh, a little burdensome. A little burdensome, all right? Now, just remember, this is the Sabbath backpack, okay? It's just for the day of rest. Tomorrow, you can take it off, and you can do whatever you like. But today, for this day of rest, we, we want to make sure you carry that around, okay. okay? And I want you to feel it a little bit. So I'm going to ask you to stand up here just okay. for a few minutes, just so you can really feel that burden sinking in to your shoulders. It was into this context of first century Jewish religion that Jesus came talking about a new way, a new way to practice the Sabbath. And the story that we're looking at this morning out of the book of Mark, Mark's account of Jesus's life comes to us in chapter two, verse 23. I'm going to read it. It'll be on the screens as well. This is what we read. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now, reaping was one of those 39 things that, that you, is that feeling okay? Yeah, that's do, right. do you need more adjustment, or are you all right? Okay, okay good. 30, one of those 39 things that you couldn't do on the Sabbath was to reap. Now, technically, the disciples weren't reaping. It wasn't like they were going out there trying to get a harvest. They were just plucking a few ears of the grain, grabbing a little snack en route from one place to another. And yet, the Pharisees, who were a particular religious sect within Judaism, they saw the disciples doing this. And the Pharisees are kind of like those people. You, you, some of you are friends with them on social media, although you wish you weren't. Those people who post about how outraged they are that so-and-so said something or did something, even if so-and-so happens to be the elected president of the United States. Uh, you know the sort of people I'm talking about, right? The people who just like to judge everyone and everything and like to think that, that they're a power higher than anyone else. That's what the Pharisees were like. And so when they saw the disciples plucking grain, they said, look, look, that's one of the things that you're not supposed to be doing. They're reaping. Jesus, do you see your disciples doing that? And frankly, Jesus was sick of the Pharisees. He was sick of their religious rule keeping. And so he, he turned to them and he responded to them. And he responded to them by telling them a story. And he told them a story they would have known. It was from the scriptures, the Jewish scriptures. 
It was about their most famous king, David, and David's men. David and his men one day were traveling, and they were absolutely famished, totally starving. And they were in a town where there was no food except the holy bread. And the holy bread could only be eaten by the priests. And David wasn't a priest, and neither were any of his men. And yet, on this occasion, the high priest took that holy bread and he gave it to David and his men so that David and his men could be restored. And Jesus is trying to make a point. He says, yeah, you might have all these rules that you feel like you need to keep, but ultimately the rules are only important if they point us to the purpose for which they were intended. The rules are not there so that, so that we can look better than someone else. So I got a bigger backpack for my Sabbath than you do. They're not there so that we can impress God and say, look how good I am at keeping the Sabbath rules. The rules are there for a greater purpose. And there are occasions on which those rules do not achieve that purpose. And in those instances, those rules do not need to be followed. This is how Jesus expresses it in the passage. He gives this, this one-liner which, which epitomizes everything I think we, we need to understand and grapple with about the Sabbath. This is what it says. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus says the purpose of the Sabbath is to benefit human beings. Human beings are not designed to carry around the Sabbath like a burden on their back. It's not meant to be an extra thing that you put on on top of all the other stuff you carry throughout the week. It's not there for you to impress God or impress other people. Ultimately, the purpose of the Sabbath is rest. It's designed to be a day when you remove the burdens that you carry. Does that feel good? That's better. Does that feel better? That's better. It's a day when you can rest and be restored. Can we say thank you to Daryl? The Sabbath is is about reminding us that that God can take care of us. That ultimately, we are human beings and not human doings. The Sabbath is God's gift of rest to us. It's not meant to be a burden. It's not made to be something that we carry around on our backs and labor over. It's meant to be something that sets us free. Now, the Pharisees, they really, really struggle with this. And we know this because in the very next verse, we read another story where they basically do the same thing again to Jesus. Let's keep reading. Again, Jesus entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they, that's the Pharisees, watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. For the Pharisees, healing was work. And work was something you weren't supposed to do on the Sabbath, so therefore you shouldn't heal on the Sabbath. Jesus saw things a little bit differently. Let's keep reading. And Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, as he turned to the Pharisees, and he said to them, and this is just a humdinger of a question right here. He said, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? And the Pharisees, to use, to use a British phrase from cricket, which none of you will understand, the Pharisees were stumped. They didn't know how to respond. 
because they couldn't say it's lawful on the Sabbath to do harm, because it's never lawful to do harm. It's never lawful to kill. But if they were to say it's lawful on the Sabbath to do good, well, then Jesus would have said, why shouldn't I heal this man's hand? And so how did they respond? It says they were silent. And then listen to this. And Jesus looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Jesus was sick of their religion, sick of their religious way, sick of their rules, sick of them letting these things get in the way of the true purpose of bringing rest and restoration to human beings. And then Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. Jesus is making the same point again. The Sabbath is not about keeping a bunch of rules and regulations, bearing a burden on your back and looking good. The Sabbath is about receiving God's gift of rest and restoration. And when there's a man who has a withered hand and you have the power miraculously to heal him and restore him, that is the ultimate expression of the Sabbath for that man. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now, this is all well and good for first century Judaism, but but what does it mean for us living in 21st century suburban America? Like, how how does this apply? We, We don't have 39 things we're not supposed to do on Sundays, right? This is a free country. We can do what we like. How does this apply to us today? Well, the more I thought about it, the more I began to realize that that actually our culture, the expectations we have of ourselves and our culture has of us is, is not really, in effect, that dissimilar to the expectations that first century Jews had of themselves. So this is your... Sunday backpack. That was the Sabbath backpack. This is your 21st century Sunday backpack. And I started to think through what are the expectations we have of ourselves, our culture has of us on Sundays? Well, our culture doesn't expect us to go to church, but you're all here, so you probably expect yourselves to go to church on a Sunday. And if you have kids, that means you expect you to get your kids ready, which is probably a couple of bottles worth. I know how that can feel. Um, And then after church, Thou shalt go worship the gods of consumerism at Costco. That's, a, that's an expectation. And uh, after Costco, you've got to unpack the shopping, then you've got to make some lunch, and then you've got to clear up from lunch. And if it's the fall at this point, you have to watch the Seahawks. It's mandated. I believe it's a law. <laughs> Otherwise, there'll be nothing to talk about at the water cooler on Monday morning at the office. Um, it, even if you don't have the Seahawks, there's things you've got to do. I mean, you've got to wash the car. You've got to vacuum the floors. You've got to do five loads of laundry. You've got to, I had a flat tire this morning, so I've got to go to Les Schwab this afternoon. There's things you've just got to do on the Sabbath or on the Sunday for us. And, and then if you have kids, it gets even worse. I mean, you have to go to kids' sports events. You have to take kids to their party of their friend. And, and then the worst of all, homework. Kids' homework. And by the end of the day, the reality is that our Sunday backpack does not look any different 
to a Sabbath backpack. The expectations we have upon our Sundays are no different to the expectations first century Jews had of their Sabbath. They're both a burden, and they're both getting in the way of what God intended for us to experience. Just think back to last Sunday, when you put your head on the pillow at the end of the day. How did you feel? Did you feel rested, refreshed, restored, ready to go for the week? Or did you feel like you'd been carrying around a backpack full of Kirkland water bottles all day long? Here's another question. When, when was the last time you experienced true rest? And I don't mean you went to a spa and had a massage. I mean, when was the last time you were truly content with who you are? When you knew that you were deeply and truly loved utterly valuable, when you knew that it didn't matter what had happened before, and it didn't matter what was to come, when you could just be present in the moment. I I think of this this image when I think about true rest of of my three-year-old son, Ezra, in my arms on the couch at the end of a day. I hope, I hope how he feels is, is this way. I hope he feels like he's loved, like he's safe, like he's provided for. Like it, it doesn't matter what he's done before. It doesn't matter what's to come. He's just here in this moment with his dad and he is content with who he is. When was the last time we experienced that sort of rest? That sort of true rest. Because that's what the Sabbath is designed to give us. And that's what we're missing out on when we carry around this backpack of expectations that we have on ourselves. God wants to set us free. He wants to give us the rest that is ours. I remember when I was a a freshman at Oxford. Uh, Oxford's this... It's a crazy school to, to study at. The, the culture is it's all about work. It's work, 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 work. Everyone's working seven days a week because you've got to get ahead of the other people and then you've got to get the best degree and get the best job. And it's a, it's a pretty sick culture. And I was at church and I heard a sermon on the Sabbath. And I thought, well, I guess I should probably do it. If it's, if it's, if it's in the Bible, I should probably try doing it. And so I, I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm, I'm going to take Sundays off every week. Now, my friends thought I was crazy. They thought I was loopy. How, how are you going to get all your work done? They'd say. I said, oh, well, I'll figure it out. And here's what I did. I, I did more than just stop from work. I, I thought, you know, I need, to, I need to do something positive. So I decided I wanted to make this a day when, when I experienced true rest. And that meant maybe cutting out some things that, that weren't very restful aside from work. It also meant pursuing things that I found to be restful. I, I wanted to enjoy the city I lived in. I wanted to enjoy the, the relationships and the friendships that I had. And so I would, I would wake up on a Sunday morning, and the first thing I would do would be to turn off my cell phone. Now, I know for a 19-year-old, that's like tantamount to cutting off your arm, all right? And for some of you, even the thought of turning off your cell phone brings you out in a cold sweat. I mean, what if there's an emergency? Ah. 
Let me tell you, for millennia, human beings survived without cell phones, and I can attest that you can survive 24 hours without one on a regular basis. So I turn off my phone. I, I didn't want to be checking it all the time. I didn't want distractions, and I just wanted to focus on being present in the moment. And then I got together every Sunday, I'd get together with some friends in my college for breakfast, and, and we'd all go off to church. We'd go to different churches, and I would worship God, and I, I would leave the service feeling refreshed and restored, and, and then maybe I'd, I'd meet up with some friends there, and we'd go out and have lunch together, or maybe I'd just go back to my room and take a nap, or maybe go for a stroll, I, I don't know. The world was my oyster. I just wanted to enjoy life, enjoy the city that God had placed me in, enjoy the relationships that I had with the people around me. Now, after dinner, I might go back to church for another service, or I might watch a movie with a group of friends. It it, it really, there there was nothing in the way of me experiencing what God had given me as gifts. And at the end of, of the day, I would, I would lie down on my pillow and I would be filled with a deep gratitude. A deep gratitude for the, the city that God had enabled me to live in, for the friendships that he had given me, for the opportunities that I had. A deep gratitude for food and, and for drink. And at the end of the day, I could be thankful. And do you know what happened? Monday morning... I'd wake up, and I was ready to go. Not like those other suckers. I was refreshed. I was restored. I was going to hit it. And when it got hard during the week, when it began to become a bit of a grind, which it always does, I used to say to myself, it's all right. Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. I've got a day off. I know it's there. I can keep pushing because I've got that rest break coming up. Sabbath, practicing Sabbath changed my life. But at the heart of it, for me, and and I think for all of us, it's really an issue of, of trust. Do we trust that if we give up one day out of seven, if we give up 14% of our possible time that we could be working, and, and we give it to God, do we trust that God is going to be able to do through those other six days, what we might have been able to do in seven days? Do we really believe that if we give a day to God, he's going to be faithful to what he has promised, to what he is asking us to do? Do we really believe that? I heard this story in that sermon when I was in college. It was about a a munitions factory in England in the Second World War, and they were uh, working really hard trying to turn out munitions for the front. And uh, because of the time, uh, the, the culture at that time, they worked six days a week, and then they gave all their workers Sunday off so that they could go to church and they could spend the day resting. But someone in management began to ask questions and began to say, well, hang on, we're in a war. Surely we can't afford at this point in time to give people a whole day off every week. And so they decided to change the policy. And they began having people work seven days a week. And do you know what happened? Their overall production volume decreased. They produced less in seven days of work than had been produced previously in only six days. And this is the question that is before us. Do, do we believe God can do more 
with the six days that we give him than the seven days that we try to work through ourselves? Do we believe that by giving up one day for him, that he can multiply those other days and that we can still maintain all of the commitments that we have made and still follow through on all of the things that we've said we are going to do. Because I believe we serve a faithful God who is able to do that. I believe we serve a God who, who is true to his word. That when he says, this is how I want you to live your life, I believe he's doing it for our benefit. Not because he's a killjoy. Not because he wants us to impress him. But he's doing it because he loves us and he cares for us and he wants the best thing for us. And I believe that when you give up one day a week to God, he will do immeasurably more with the other six days than you can ask or imagine. And the question for all of us today is, is do, do we believe that? Do we believe that to be true? And if we believe that to be true, are we willing to put our faith into action? and actually try it out. A month ago, I offered you guys a 30-day challenge. I said, get up every day, read the Bible for 30 days. And I know a number of you did it. I got emails about it. And if you're doing it, still doing it, that's awesome. Keep going. I want to offer another 30-day challenge. And it's going to be the Sabbath challenge. I want to ask you to try in the next 30 days to take one day off in every seven. I want you to try it out. I want you to try putting that faith into action. To trust that God can do more with six than you can do with seven. Now for some of you, that's going to be easy because you're retired. I'm joking. I know you all have work that you've got to do. Yeah. For some of you, you already practice this. And this is an encouragement. Keep going. But, But for others of us, this is really hard. This is really hard to give up a day out of seven. And if you are retired, I know you've got things in your life that you you have to do, that have to get done, commitments you've made, and they they feel burdensome. And so I want to ask you, would you, over these next 30 days, give up one day out of seven, every seven days, and give it to God? And on that day, I want to encourage you to do some things. I don't want to give you a bunch of rules. I don't want to turn this into another set of religious 39, you can't do this. But if you've never practiced Sabbath before, it can be difficult to kind of know where to start. I mean, here's, here's my first tip. Don't just decide on, on a morning, well, I'm going to practice Sabbath today, so <laughs> it doesn't matter about anything else. It doesn't matter about any of my commitments. I'll just skip that lunch and I'll avoid that person. That's... It's not going to work. It does require some planning and preparation in order to be able to take that rest. So I want to give you some tips, some ideas. Here's here's the first one. If if we're going to give a day to God, I want to suggest that on that day we want to spend some time with God. It's a day when we can lay aside all our other things and we can focus on the thing of greatest importance in our lives. And if you're... Sabbath, your one day that you're going to take happens to fall on a weekend. Well, we have three worship services, and you can come and attend one of these services. We'll even take care of your kids for you. It's fantastic. I know when I leave worship, I feel refreshed and restored. 
When I leave spending time with God, I feel refreshed and restored. But maybe for you, Sundays or Saturdays, it just doesn't work to take a Sabbath on those days. And it's got to be a different day. You're a shift worker or whatever. In which case, spend some time on that day with God. Maybe listen to some worship music or read the Bible or listen to a podcast, pray. Take some time on your Sabbath day to spend with God because you will feel rested and restored after doing that. On your Sabbath day as well, I want to encourage you to cease from work. I mean, that's what the Sabbath is. It's a day to cease from work. And work is different for different people. If you're a mom who stays at home, ceasing from your work on the Sabbath is going to be very hard at this stage in life. I get it. We've lived through it. We know what it's like. I want to encourage you, if there's any way you can lay down the laundry for a day or, or, or you can just have mac and cheese rather than cooking a full-on meal, if, if there's ways that you can simplify it to cease from your striving for one day. For others of you, it's more obvious. You work in an office. Ceasing from work just means I don't check my emails on the weekend because the rest of it is all over there. Take a day, cease from work. And then here's the last thing I want to encourage is to try pursuing things that are intentionally restful. Try pursuing things that are intentionally restful. Now, that might mean you, you go take a hike. It might mean that you play a board game together. It, it might mean you read a book. Let me give you an idea of something that I don't think is intentionally restful, is spending an hour checking social media throughout the course of a day. I, I don't think that brings you rest and restoration. Now, it's up to you. I I'm not giving you a bunch of rules. I'm just making some suggestions. And if you don't know what's restful, you know, you might be saying, Alice, I haven't had a day off in years. I don't even know what to do with a day off. Then I want to encourage you to try new things. Try something you've never tried before. Try, I don't know, sewing. Anything you want. Just try it. See what it's like. And this is a gift that God has given us. If we're willing to give up a day for him, I believe he will take those other six days and the work that we do in them and will multiply it up so that we achieve as much, if not more, than we could have achieved in seven days. I believe that if we take a day to focus upon God, upon the gifts that he has given us, the relationships that we have upon worshiping him, I believe that we will um, experience rest and restoration for our souls. And that we will be enabled to pursue our commitments in those other six days. But the question before each one of us, as, as I place this challenge out there, is do you believe that we serve a faithful God who is faithful to do what he has said in his word? That if you place your trust in this idea of taking one day off in seven, do you believe that God is going to come through and you're, you're not going to slip on the things that you're committed to? Do you believe that? Because I do. I believe our God is faithful, he is true to his word, and he will come through for each one of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we don't have to practice the Sabbath as a means to please you. Thank you that you are already pleased, you are already satisfied because of the work of your son Jesus on the cross. God, thank you for the freedom that that brings us, that this, this isn't a burden we need to carry in order to please you. And God, I pray you would set us free from any sense that, that we need to do this to show that we're, we're good Christians or, or we're better than other people. God, but would you help us lay all that aside? 
And God, I pray that you would help us to have faith in you, have trust in you, that we would step out, that we would try this. God, would you, would you fill us with your spirit to overcome the temptation to, to check in on email or, or just do that one thing that's really bugging us? And, and, and Lord, just allow us to rest, truly experience rest. God, I pray that we would know what it is to be truly content with who we are. We know that we are truly loved, deeply valued. God, I pray that you would set us free from the burdens that we carry. You are faithful. You are faithful, God. And we trust in you. I pray this in Jesus' name.